Chapter 4, A Book of Giants. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Book of Giants by Henry Wisham Lanier. Chapter 4, When Thor Went to Jotunheim. Odin, he was one of the nine and forty names, dwelt in bright Asgard with his fellow Iser and Asinjar, father of gods and men, though he was, born though he was of a giant mother, there was bitter strife between him and the vast frost and mountain giants, the seed of Ymir's feet. They alone ventured openly to dispute his sovereignty. Mightiest of the other twelve, Iser was the All-Father's eldest earth-born son, Thor. Two goats of magical powers drew his chariot, iron gauntlets, he had with which to grasp Mjolnir, the hammer that none might withstand, when he girded about his loins the belt of strength. Even his godlike might was doubled. He alone of all gods must wade the mist rivers and ascend into Asgard on foot, lest his flaming, thundering chariot to destroy Bifrost, the trembling rainbow bridge over which all the rest of the celestial company rode daily to and from the judgment seat below. Many a frost giant had been dashed down into the gloom of Niflhel by the Mjolnir hammer, which the dwarf artist Sindre had forged for the Asa god. But this monster race held the secrets of black sorcery, and in this way they were at times a match for the powers of Asgard. So Thor discovered on certain expedition. One day he left his vast mansion, Bolskirnir, with its five hundred and forty halls, and accompanied by Loki, set out towards Jotunheim. Northward they journeyed a whole day in the goat-drawn car, till they came to Alfheim, where the sons of Ivald guarded the southern shores of the great sea against the giants who dwelt beyond it, lest these attempt to attack Asgard from his side, as was his custom. Thor stopped for the night at the house of Ego, the master archer able to travel on his skis, over both snow and water. Brother too, he was Voland, craftiest of smiths, who was the latter to forge the sword of victory, fatal even to the gods. There dwelt with Ego his foster son, Thialfi, who had been found as an infant on a tide-washed sandbar of the sea. He was swiftiest of foot of all who lived in Midgard, the home of men. For in truth he was that same Frey who afterwards sat in Asgard. He and his sister Roska were very dear to Ego. Right welcome Thor to Ego. Yet when mealtime came there was a scarcity of food for the company. Little shall that trouble us, cried Thor, with his rumbling laugh that shook the hall. The meat I like best is that which carries me when I do not carry it. Followed by Loki and the wandering Thialfi, he strode out into the darkness to where his strong-horned goats were stalled. Smiling at the boy's amazement, he killed the beautiful creatures, skinned them, and cut up the carcasses with great care, and put the flesh into kettles to stew. When the meal was ready, he invited all to join, and while Thialfi found it hard to forget the trim and graceful animals, so full of life and spirit, he had to admit that he had never before tasted such delicious fare. Eat your fill, everybody, said Thor. None need go hungry when Tangnaist and Tangrisner are on the board, but one caution I must give. Not a bone must be broken. When we are through, let the boy gather every bone, sort out the two sets, and put one pile in each of the skins by the hearth yonder. When all were satisfied, Thor and Egil fell to talk, recounting their expeditions against the foes of the gods in Jotunheim, while Thialfi obediently gathered together the bones and arranged them in the hides. 
an evil smile flitted over the thin face of crafty loki as he perceived that the two warriors had become completely absorbed in their tales of past exploits there was now reminding egil of that famous adventure when he himself wounded in the forehead had borne his companion with a frozen foot across the foggy elivagor water and its magic terrors he was lost in everything that went on around him laughing aloud and smiting his great thigh as he lived over those moments of tense excitement as thialfi knelt at the other end of the wide hearth and painstakingly striving to complete his task he started at a low whisper from the shadow beyond did you like the meat yes answered the boy in surprise looking up he could hardly see the features of his questioner but the eyes gleamed almost like the blaze from the burning logs in the fireplace you have not tasted the best yet said the smooth voice the real strength and sweetness is the marrow thialfi stared at him yes that is like honey and he who eats of it can go for days without any other nourishment nor can i imagine why he was so stingy as to withhold the best still the youth did not know what to say better try it continued loki that long leg bone there is just full of sweetness oh no said thialfi involuntarily lowering his voice to the same pitch he forbade us to break any of them what nonsense why should you be so careful of that rubbish you saw yourself what he did to the living animals how could he really mind after that if just one picked bone were a little chipped you'll never have another chance to taste such fare as only those in asgard now i don't like to whispered the boy he might be angry angry he'll never know why should he poke about and find a piece at the bottom of the pile and if he should notice it it would simply be an accident that might have happened a dozen times already thialfi hesitated it makes no difference to me of course went on the tempter but i don't see why you should be deprived of the best part when it can't possibly hurt anybody to take it besides i've heard you were a wonderful runner and i have an idea that the one who tastes the marrow will find his power marvelously increased the youth's eyes shone he was proud of his ability to outstrip all with whom he had raced and he could not resist the idea glancing over his shoulder he saw the pair still deep in their reminiscences with a sudden impulse he thrust a leg bone beneath his skin coat and went quietly out into the darkness gently he chipped off a piece of the bone and sucked out the marrow it was delicious as loki had said and his excitement imagination made him fancy he could already feel a waxing of vigor in his muscles yet it was with guilty feeling that he stole back and hid the fractured piece at the bottom of one of the piles well pleased was loki for he believed he had without danger to himself saw an enmity between those two defenders of asgard presently all went to bed silence fell upon the great hall and the sleeping rooms but thialfi trembled and started and tossed a prey to terrifying dreams it was still dark within the hall when thor rose though outside the dawn light began to show in the east he kindled the fire on the spreading hearth and the leaping flames soon brightened the place thialfi awoke from his couch he could see past the drawn skin curtain into the large apartment a feeling of panic crept over him as he saw the huge distorted shadow which the fire threw against the wall now shrinking now shooting up to monstrousness for the shadow was busy with something that lay beside the hearth and the youth remembered only too well that all was not right with the contents of those skins thor placed the two goat pelts before him he took out the great hammer mjolnir and waved it solemnly over the piles muttered potent words thialfi stretched forward breathlessly to see what was his amazement when the bundles of dead bones began to stir the hides moved and stretched and rounded before his unbelieving eyes the two trim goats stood up alive vigorous and handsome as ever but no one was not as he had been the poor creature was lame 
It limped, dragging one hind leg as it moved. Thelfi crouched down again, trembling as he saw the big man bend swiftly to examine the injured leg. Then there was a roar of anger, which shook the beams. Everybody was running in. Mjolnir was out at once more. Not to restore life this time, far from it. Thor was vowing vengeance and threatening to destroy his friend Egil, and the whole household for the injury done to his cherished possession. His red hair stood out like flames about his massive head. He gripped a terrible hammer so hard that the joints of his fingers showed white in the firelight. At that, Thialfi dragged himself forward. Half dead with fear, he confessed what he had done, saying not a word of Loki's tempting. Egil, as much disturbed as his guest, protested his desire to make amends. Payment is due, said he. It is for you to state the price. The sight of the frightened youth had somewhat calmed Thor's anger. This graceful, slender body was not fit object for a meal near his weight. Slowly his vast muscles relaxed. It is the law, said he. Let him pay who committed the fault. He and his sister shall be my bond servants from this day forth. This punishment seemed mild enough to Thialfi, for he was secretly drawn to this open-faced mighty one whose blue eyes harbored no meanness, and who was clearly good-natured despite his sudden bursts of fierceness. Moreover, the prospect of roaming abroad with him was far from displeasing. As for the beautiful Roska, she had nothing to say about it. Anyhow, where Thialfi went was the place she would choose to be. So peace was restored, and all sat down to the morning meal content, save craftly Loki. Leaving the goats with Egil, Thor and his companions set forth on foot. The chill mists and unfathomed depths of the Elivagur Sea had no terrors for him, but when they had passed over its expanse, they came to a strange and gloomy country surrounding the stronghold of the giants. Endlessly the forest stretched away, and all day they wandered through its pathless mazes without sight of any human being. There was no sign of even beast or bird, and while swift-footed Thialfi, who carried Thor's wallet, scored the thickets on either side, all his woodcraft failed to discover anything in the way of food. Darkness settled down upon them, almost as soon as the sun disappeared. The question of a place to spend the night became urgent. Searching on all sides in the gathering dusk, they finally came upon a large structure with an entrance that took up the whole width of one end. No one appeared or answered to their shouts, so they entered and lay down in the main hall, glad of any place to lay their heads after their exhausting day. Towards midnight, when they were all slumbering soundly, they were rudely awakened by an earthquake which shook the whole building. Leaping to their feet, they staggered to and fro over the heaving floor, expecting each moment to feel the roof fall upon their heads. But the swaying stopped presently, and Thor bade them seek some place of safety. To the right they found a smaller chamber without any door or curtain, and the three crept into the farthest corner of this and dropped down, trembling with fear. Thor, however, remained at the entrance, holding Mjolnir ready. He stayed on guard the rest of the night, listening to the extraordinary noise like a rushing wind which he could hear outside from time to time. As soon as it was light, he stepped out of the building to investigate the roaring sound. There stretched out in the ground was a monstrous creature, so huge that he looked like the fallen trunk of some primeval fir tree. He was fast asleep, and it was his snoring which had sounded like a howling winter gale. Many a giant as Thor had seen and encountered the bulk of this man-mountain made him pause in astonishment. Then he quietly girded about him the belt of strength, for if ever he needed the double his powers, it was now. Just then the giant opened his eyes, which looked like muddy lakes. He yawned, stretched himself, and stood up. 
and his head was almost lost in the tops of the trees. For the only time in his history, Thor hesitated to join an open battle. Who are you? he asked. My name is Skurimir, said the other. His voice was like the bellow of thunder, and Loki, Thialfi, and Roska ran to the entrance and looked out at the reverberating sound. As for you, continued the giant, I know you well. You are Asa Thor, but what have you done with my glove? With that, he stretched down his big hand towards the odd group of three, which scattered before him, and they realized that the building in which they had lodged was the creature's glove, the smaller room to which they had fled being the thumb. Shall we travel together? asked Skyrimir, smiling in a way that made Thor's cheeks burn. As you will, replied the latter. Thereupon the giant sat down, opened a prodigious wallet, and fell to his breakfast. But Thor and his comrades drew apart by themselves and shared their scanty stock of provisions. When they had finished, Here, said Skyrimir, let me carry your food. It will not weigh me down. So saying, he thrust Thor's wallet into his own and started off through the forest with such tremendous strides that they could hardly keep in sight of him. All day long he led them at this pace amid the endless woods, and Roska, for one, was more than glad, despite her brother's aid, when dusk brought him to a halt beside an ancient oak. We have loitered along slowly enough, he said. Yet I suppose it is time to sleep. I am not hungry. You can take the wallet and get your own meal. If you need a roof over your head, my glove is here. He stretched himself out and presently was snoring so that one could have heard him a mile away. Dark and silent, Thor finally took the leather bag to get out their food. His feelings were not smoothed when he found he could not untie the knots. In growing anger, he worked away at the stubborn thongs, but he could make no impression on the hard knots. Then his patience exhausted. He tried to break the fastenings. Still, they defied his efforts. Enraged at being thus trifled with, he grasped Mjolnir, stepped forward and dashed it at the giant's head. Skyrimir stirred himself slightly. What was that? A leaf? He asked sleepily. Have you little ones supped yet? Have you gone to sleep? We are just lying down, muttered Thor, puzzled and upset. He strode off and lay down under another oak. But he could not sleep. The stertorous snores of the giant seemed to mock him. Finally, he sprang up again and walked cautiously back. The moonlight shone full on the giant's bulky form. Heaving his hammer aloft, he launched it with such violence that the head buried itself in Skirmir's skull. What's happening? called out the giant rolling over. An acorn dropped right on my head. How do you fare, Thor? All right, called back the other, stealing away behind the tree trunks. I woke when you called out. There's plenty of time to sleep yet. Again, all was quiet, except in Thor's breast, where rage and humiliation contended in a turmoil. He forced himself to lie still, calming his burning wrath with the assurance that when the moment came for a third blow, he would take ample revenge for this disgrace. The creature did not exist who could treat Asa Thor in this manner. A long time he waited both to recover his poise and to be sure the other was really asleep again. At length, a little before daybreak, he rose softly and again approached the slumbering giant. His hands ran over the magic belt, as if to draw from it the last bit of aid. Gripping Mjolnir with both hands, he summoned up every power of his heaving muscles. The remembrance of his failures burned in his veins, and seemed to double his strength and determination. He whirled the irresistible Mjolnir about his head, and brought it down with his utmost force upon the sleeper. To his grim satisfaction, he saw it smash into the giant's cheek up to the very handle. To his consternation, Skirmir sat up and appeared to brush something from his face. There must be birds roosting in this tree, said he disgustedly. 
How can one sleep when they are scratching moss and bark loose so that it falls over one's head? He looked about. What? Are you awake too, Thor? I suppose it is time to get up anyhow, for you say you want to get to Utgard. The city is not far now. I must warn you, though, of one thing. I have heard you whispering together as if you thought my size was something remarkable, but if you go to Utgard, you will see many far taller than I. So I counsel you against making much of yourselves. For Utgard, Loki's men will have little patience with the boastings of such mannequins. Indeed, if you are wise, you will turn back at once. However, if you persist in your folly, your road lies east. I go northward to those cliffs in the distance yonder. He threw his wallet over his shoulders and went off unheeding Thor's resentful glare. Following his directions, the party presently passed out of the forest and traveled over a wide plain. Towards noon, they came upon the city of Utgard. So lofty were its walls and buildings that their heads bent back on their necks as they gazed up to the pinnacles of the towers. When they came close, they saw nobody but a vast gate of ponderous bars closed the way. It was locked and bolted. After trying for some time to call a keeper, and then to unfasten the gate, Thor and his comrades squeezed between the bars and entered the silent city. They went through one deserted street after another, till they saw before them a magnificent palace whose doors stood wide. Walking boldly in, they found themselves in a hall that dwarfed anything they had ever beheld. Sitting on benches were arranged two lines of men, the first glance at whom convinced the travelers that Skyrimir had spoken truly. Advancing to the raised seat, they saluted the ruler, Utgard Loki, but the king gazed at them with a smile. Thor was by no means accustomed to such scornful treatment and his companions could perceive his heat growing as his contemptuous silence continued. At length the king spoke. It is tedious to ask for tidings of a long journey. Yet if I may ask not, that little one there must be Asa Thor. Possibly, he went on addressing Thor directly. You may be more than you appear. What can you do, you and these with you? No one stays in Utgard unless he can, in some feat of skill or strength, excel all others. I have a feat, spoke up Loki. I can eat quicker than any here. I am ready to prove it against all. That will be worth seeing if you can make your boast good, said the giant king. It shall be put to the test. He called to one named Logi, sitting on a further bench. A trough filled with fresh meat was brought in and placed between the two. At the signal, both began to eat, one from each end. Loki strove his utmost, and yet when he reached the middle of the trove, he met his antagonist there. Moreover, it was seen that while he had devoured all the flesh on his side, Logi had consumed flesh, bone, and the trove to boot. There could be no gain saying that the visitor was vanquished. And what can you do? asked Utgard Loki, looking at Thialfi. I can run, said the youth. We shall soon see about that. Let us go outside to the course. The whole company went forth to a level stretch of plain. A slim youth, whom they called Hugi, took his place beside Thialfi. The latter, who had never been beaten in swiftness, smiled confidently. The word was given. The two runners were off like arrows from the bow, but Thialfi could hardly credit his eyes when, before he had covered half the distance to the turning point, he met Hugi coming back already. You will have to ply your legs better than that, said Utgard Loki, if you expect to win in this company. A second course was run. Thialfi stained every nerve and muscle to the utmost. His heart beat as if it would burst through his ribs. Yet Hugi reached the goal when he was still a bow shut off. You run bravely, remarked the king. Still, it seems to me this match will not be yours. The third trial must decide. Once more they towed the mark and sped away. Thialfi did the best, but he was wearied with his last effort. His swift adversary crossed the finish line ere he had quite gone halfway. 
The whole assemblage declared there was no need of further trial. Utgard Loki turned to Thor. We have heard much of your prowess, Asa. This is your choice to prove to us that rumors' tales are true. I will drink a drought with any of you, growled Thor between his teeth. Excellent, returned the king. He led the way back into the hall and bade his cup-bearer bring the drinking horn. It was borne forth. A good drinker, remarked Utgard Loki, empties this at the single drought. Some men make two of it. The puniest of all can take it off in three. Thor looked at the horn critically. It did not appear of extra size, though the end stretched away behind the bearer. Moreover, he was very thirsty, so little doubt had he of emptying it at a drought, that he did not pause to take breath, but set it to his lips and pulled long and deeply. He set it down with a clatter, thinking to ask for more. To his chagrin, he could hardly perceive any lowering of the liquor. Well, exclaimed the king, surely that is not much for Asa Thornton to boast of. I would not have believed it if it had been told me. Perhaps, though, you were saving yourself for a second drought. Without answering, Thor seized the horn once more and quaffed a mighty drought. Yet on looking in, it seemed as if he had made less impression than before. Still, the vessel would now be carried without spilling. The king shook his head. A man must use his own sort of skill. Certainly, though, you have left most of the task for your last attempt. I fear your reputation here will hardly match that you have in Asgard, if this is an example of your prowess. Too angry to speak now, Thor grasped the horn again. Tilting back, he drank and drank till he thought he would burst with the effort. But when he could do nothing more, he found he had emptied only the top inch or two. He handed the horn back to the cup-bearer. I see plainly, said Utgard Loki, that what we have heard of you was a traveler's tale. Still, do you wish to try something else? I confess it does not seem likely that you will bear away many prizes here. I know, Thor replied doggedly, that such droughts would not be accounted small among the Iser. But I will attempt another feat. What have you to propose? We have a game here, a sort of childish exercise. Before witnessing this last performance, I would scarce have dared mention it to Asa Thor. It is merely lifting my cat from the floor. A large grey cat walked out, its tail held high. Thor looked at it uncertain. He is large for a cat, said the king. Stung to the quick, Thor stepped forward and put a hand under the beast's belly and lifted hard. The cat arched his back, not resisting at all. Heave and strain as he might, Thor could only get one paw off the floor. I imagined as much, said Utgard Loki. Even my cat is too large for such a little one. Little I may be, cried Thor. Yet let me see the man here who will wrestle with me at this moment. Utgard Loki looked at the massive figures ranged along the benches. I see no one small enough for that. If you must wrestle, however, call old Ellie, the nurse. She has thrown many a better man than you have yet proved yourself. In came a bent, withered, toothless old crone. At the king's bidding, she grappled with the aroused door. Violently, he strove till the muscles on his arms and legs stood out like ropes. Locking his mighty arms, he strained this way and that. The more he put forth his power, the firmer did the frail old woman seem to stand. Then Thor began to feel an exorable grip tightening upon himself. He struggled as if his very life hung on the issue. Yet his legs began to bend. Presently, he was forced down upon one knee. Old Ellie released him and hobbled off. With heaving breast, dripping sweat, and vastly ashamed, Thor stood up before them. We need hardly further trial, said Utgard Loki. Besides, it grows late. Show them to the guest seats. They were made welcome and feasted that night with good cheer. Next morning, they prepared to depart. Utgard Loki saw that they were bountifully provided with food and drink. He himself conducted them to the gate of the city. 
Well, Asathor, said he, as they were about to separate, are you satisfied with your visit to Utgard? Have you seen more powerful rulers elsewhere on your journeys? Truly, replied Honest Thor, I have brought great shame upon the Iser. Justly will you say that I am one of the little worth. Hardly that, said the giant king. Now that you are outside of my city, which with my consent you will never enter again, I must tell you the truth. Had I imagined your powers, and how near they would have brought me to disaster, you would by no means have seen the inside of it this time. Know then that I have deceived you all along with illusions. The wallet you could not open in the forest was bound with invisible iron wire. The least of the three strokes of your hammer would have ended my days. I brought before me a rocky mountain which you could not see. In this you will find three deep ravines made by those blows. The contests here were illusions likewise. Though Loki ate like hunger, Logi, who outmatched him, was ardent fire itself. Hugi was thought. How could even swift Thialfi keep pace with him? The horn you tried to empty reached to the sea. When you come to the shore, you will see your droughts have caused the ocean itself to ebb. When we saw you lift one of the cat's paws from the floor, we were all terror-stricken. For the cat was in reality the great Midgard serpent which encompasses the whole earth. Nurse Ellie was in fact old age, and never yet has man wrestled with her as have you. Therefore, let us never meet again, for in spite of all the marvels of your strength, you can never prevail against me because of my illusions. Wild with anger, Thor laid hold of Mjolnir, but Utgard Loki had vanished. He would have destroyed the city, but even that had disappeared, leaving only a smooth and verdant plain. There was no help for it, save to return to their own land, and in truth, as the Asa reflected upon what had happened, he was not so ill-pleased as before. Especially did he recall his feat of lifting the Midgard Serpent, and the remembrance of his incredible exploit fired him with a resolution to match himself once more against this monstrous world-encircling progency of Loki. It was not long thereafter when he determined to wait no more for this. So hastily did he set out that he took neither car, nor goats, nor followers. In the semblance of a young man, he traveled forth and at dusk came to the dwelling of a giant named Hymer, who lived by the Elevagar water. Here he passed the night. At the evening meal, he alone ate two of the oxen Hymir had prepared. I shall have to go fishing tomorrow to feed you, grumbled the host. In the morning, Hymir made his boat ready to go fishing. Thor offered to accompany him. Much use a midget like you would be, returned the giant. You can eat of a certainty, but rowing is quite another matter. Worse than that, you would get cold and terrified if I go out to my fishing grounds and stay as I am accustomed to. Sorely tempted to try Mjolnir on the giant's skull, Thor dissembled. I will row as far as you say. We shall see which wishes to turn back first. What bait do we use? Get a bait for yourself, returned the surly fellow. Thor walked off to where the herd of oxen grazed. The leader was a huge coal-black bull. Seizing the beast by its horns, the Asa wrung off its head, carried it back to the boat, and threw it in. Better if you had sat still, grumbled Hymir. They pushed the boat through the breakers and put out the sea, each rowing with a pair of oars. Thor was aft, and Hymir was amazed to see how the boat shot through the waves, even against a strong wind. Before long, the giant pulled in his oars. Here is where I catch flat fish, said he. No, no, further out, said Thor, pulling harder than ever. Stop, cried Hymir. After a while, we are getting near the dwelling of the Midgard serpent. Further out is better fishing, declared Thor. 
and he rode on in spite of his companion's protests. He stopped at last, muttering. Hymir threw out his lines. Presently he drew up a whale, then another took hold. Meanwhile, Thor had taken out a line and hook, the size of which caused the giant to stare. Fastening the gory bull's head on the hook, he dropped it far down into the depths, till it actually reached the bottom. He did not have to wait long. Something far down there seized the bait. The line taunted. Thor jerked violently. When the monster felt the hook, it pulled so hard that Thor was forced to hold on to the rowing pins to avoid being dragged overboard. Then the Asa spirit waxed high. He hauled at the line so that his feet went through the bottom of the boat and down to the ocean floor. Yet ever he pulled so stoutly that presently the hideous head of the Midgard snake appeared above the surface. Nothing daunted by the floods of venom which the beast spouted out at him, Thor darted fiery glances at his enemy, still striving to lift the head into the boat. Hymir, however, terrified beyond measure and feeling the craft sink beneath him, took his knife out of the sheath and cut the line just as Thor launched his hammer. The monster fell back and sank again to his immemorial abode. We know not whether those speak truly who declare the Mjolnir struck off its head at the bottom of the sea, or whether it still lies encircling the earth, but it is related among the exploits of Alexander the Great that being lowered in a glass cage to the depths of the ocean, he beheld a prodigious monster going past and sat for two days, watching its body ooze along all the time before its tail and hinder parts appeared, which sounds as if Thor had not made a thorough job of it. Certain it is, however, that Hymir said no word till they were again at the shore. Then he muttered, Do you share carry the whales in or make the boat fast? Whereupon Thor picked up boats, oars, whales, and all, and bore the whole thing up the wooden hillside to the Jotun's dwelling. End of chapter 2